Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Frenchie is here. We are still exhausted from the Rolex, so that is going to be the end of the episode. Thank you to our friends at Java House for their continued support. Five locations in Indy. I was there this morning. Every coffee you can get there is delicious. If you're not in Indy and you want some, go to javahouse.com. Use promo code PITLANE10 for 10% off all of your orders and enjoy some lovely coffee. So we've got some IndyCar testing to briefly talk about, a little bit of F1 stuff to talk about. But first, and you know, I'm curious... I guess we should say that Sarah is, is an official co-host now. So, yay, Sarah. Uh, and thanks, Sarah, for all the Rolex help this weekend. And she'll be on here and there whenever whenever she has the time. And I, I meant to ask her this so I could put it in the episode, but naturally I forgot. Frenchie, it was your first Rolex. What did you think of the experience? I was impressed i guess by just daytona as a track and the way the whole weekend went but when you think that you can stay up for a full 24 hours um i mean i don't even remember doing that in college pulling all-nighters or anything like that i'm someone who i think needs about an hour or two at least of sleep to function as a human being so that was a little bit i don't know I guess surprising. I had better expectations for myself to uh, sleep less. <laughs> I mean, not that we slept much, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, right? Because you know, Sarah didn't sleep at all. I slept for so I slept for like I don't know an hour, hour and a half, give or take, in the Airbnb. And then when we got to the track, and and you had gone back to the Airbnb for a pit stop, I we were me. Sarah and Sarah's friend who was doing PR for a couple of the teams, Cassidy, were on pit lane. One of the one of the tents that had a team, but you know, they had dropped it out of the race. I think it was like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. And I, I sat down, leaned my back against their fuel tank and passed out for like another twenty minutes sitting on pit lane. So you know, under two hours, which is actually the least I've slept for any Rolex so far. But I think that goes to show when you have good company, it makes it a little bit easier to handle. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I think we uh, we're del- all delirious together, so that kind of yes, yeah. I can't imagine doing it without the two of you guys because to be alone and not have anyone to sort of have energy to share with a little bit and crack jokes with would have made it extremely dull. In the morning hours. Yes. Yes, I agree. So, anyway, we, you know, we had our Tom Palmquist interview episode come out yesterday. I hope everybody enjoyed it. It was super fun. We will definitely have him back on the show at some point. Also, before we talk about open wheel stuff, the Pit Lane Parlay Patreon will officially be relaunched in the next couple days. So, take keep an eye out for that. And... Our Substack, where it's a little bit easier to blog than the podcast website we have set up, will be live, and we'll have a weekly newsletter or blog of sorts going on on there. And that's all of the things I think I need to talk about. 
at least for now. So I guess we can start with testing, and I'll ask the first question. I know you probably have a bunch of stuff up on your computer here, but are you? how do you feel about Thermal Club testing now that we're here? And by here, he doesn't mean that we're at Thermal, unfortunately. Correct. I mean here as in the test is actually ongoing. <laughs> yeah, just to make that clear for everyone. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I don't know, honestly. That's, I think, the major problem is I've seen snippets of content, and I'm thankful for those who are at the track posting information. But, you know, there's no live stream or anything like that, um, which, you know, it's expensive to do a live stream. So I guess we can maybe understand that from IndyCar's perspective. But for all the fans who want to follow testing, we're not really able to be as engaged as we might like to be. So I can't really have that much of a conclusion about it because I haven't seen the cars actually going around thermal and I'd like to. So maybe some of the videos will be released later or I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a weird feeling and, there's probably a lot I, I want to say, but I'm not going to for now. It's it's definitely a disconnected feeling, and you know, it looks really nice. I feel like if it's if yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I it's, it's weird, and I hope we see some more kind of full lap content versus these little snippets. But what I'm also curious about is you know, there's Nathan Brown and Indy Star had that article like, oh, maybe this could lead to you know, some sort of preseason race extravaganza where it's like, you know, an exhibition thing with indie car drivers versus these like rich dudes or rich, rich people who have complexes at the thermal club. That excites me less than testing at thermal club. And I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I think that's a gimmick and not that, we don't see gimmicks in motorsports. I mean, look at how kind of fun to watch the, uh, what is it, the clash at the Coliseum is with NASCAR. I mean, that's definitely a gimmick that they, you know, pave over a football stadium and race in that tight confines of the track and they don't even have room for a pit lane, so they have to, what, have a halftime show, basically, to put new fuel and tires in the car. <laughs> like, that's a complete gimmick, but it's entertaining. And I think it changes when you just kind of do it and have, I guess, you know, people who can afford to race against them, the drivers. I mean, I'm, that's an amazing experience for those people, but will it really grab the fans' attention? I don't think so, because we don't know those people. So, not not 100% sure. Yeah, I feel like something like that alienates, like, 98% of the IndyCar fan base, or probably 98% of the motorsports fan base as a mm-hmm. whole, but... It's it's a cool it's cool if you can afford it or it's cool if you could watch it. I don't, I don't I'm not knocking you if you are wealthy and well off enough that you can do something good like for that. that. Like that's super yeah. cool. I just I don't think it really does much for like the rest of the motorsports market. But you know it doesn't really matter because it's not happening now. And yeah, who knows if it it will happen? But I don't know. Is there anything else testing related? Uh, this so we're recording Thursday afternoon. It's three thirty Eastern. So there's been one session. 
I'm reading absolutely nothing into test times because we don't know much. It looks like after one session, like all Honda teams are on top. For, I think it's like the first like eight or nine were all Honda, at least last I looked. I changed a little bit. And okay, so it's it's hard to think too much into it. You could look at the rookies and be like, okay, who's the fastest rookie? But again. You don't know what programs are running, what fuel is in the car, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I'm paying absolutely no attention to the leaderboard. I'm really just looking to see what the cars look like. You know, new liveries like Eilat and Yunkos, that green and neon green and black is probably going to be my favorite this year. Yeah, and I actually like the change on Devlin's car to the like almost a cotton candy looking livery with the pink and light blue. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Anything else testing related that we need to, I don't know, talk about in some way? I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure that everybody, if they're interested, can go look at the times uh, and just see yes, kind of how everybody's running. Um, it looks, I mean, it, for a small track, I guess it's 2.9 miles. Pretty, you know, that's, I guess, your average road course, maybe. But for 27 entries, I would just wonder how the drivers feel about having, if they've had any full field runs or stuff like that. It'll be, I think, interesting to hear what they have to say when we get more of the drivers' takes. Possibly, what, tomorrow or next week? Yeah, yeah. It's And even then, you know, there, there's not going to be... You're not going to get 27 cars probably out there at the same time very often. So, you know, it's not as much of an issue as it would be like a, you know, like a a practice one leading into a race weekend. Yeah. Well, and I have a feeling that we're going to get mostly positive feedback on thermal just because, number one, the place does seem like it's really, I mean, I forget how much I was reading in that article you mentioned that Nathan Brown wrote was invested in that place, but you know, we're not talking about amateur level stuff here. This is a a serious racetrack. So I'm pretty sure that everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised by it, but you know, I'm just interested to hear the driver's takes when they get to reflect on it a little bit. And if they could see racing at that track in the future, or I actually wanted to ask you real quick about that racing, the amateurs, did they, that that wouldn't be in Indy cars, right? Like that'd be in go-karts or something. There's no way you could let just amateur guys get in a car. Probably like, yeah, yeah, probably like a sports car sort of thing. Like you know, all those guys that have those fancy McLarens that you see. Like Steph Wilson did that thing with Racer for the lap, you know, the the demo lap that came out the other day. I, uh, I, which I I didn't watch. I just I just saw the the picture of the car he was in. So. It'd probably be something like that. I can't imagine them being like, yeah, here's an extra Indy car. Right. You know, go ahead and Don't use go it. tub this. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could replace <laughs> it, but, you know, I don't think you're going to trust somebody in a car like that that's basically only been driving, I don't know, say a 911 GT3 or something. It's it's next level of talent right. and ability. Exactly. I'm trying to think of what else with testing. I think we... And, and at least in terms of other IndyCar news that we should get to, the big news that I saw was that, number one, um, Graham Rahal is going to partner with Eddie Jones again as his engineer. Um, yes. And I guess Eddie Jones, 
I think he had like retired or something and he was a consultant for Ray Hall. And then, I mean, unfortunately, it just really hasn't gone as well as probably Graham or the team have expected or wanted, right? I mean, his last wins were in 2017. So that's a, a really long drought, unfortunately. And yeah, Eddie Jones, I think, used to be Takuma's engineer, and they had some success together. So maybe this will yield some fruitful results for Graham. Um but I know that that Jones is really like looked at highly or thought of highly in the paddock. So this is a sure, good this is a sure. good uh, I guess not even a signing. Just they force him back into the into the game. You couldn't keep him away. <laughs> You're getting back in the exactly. Game. Yeah, I mean, good good for Ray Hall. They definitely. I don't want to say they definitely need it, but it can't hurt. So let's bring it. Good for them. Last piece of IndyCar news, and I wanted to save this for last because it's probably the most controversial, is that we found out today that IndyCar is reducing the leader circle payouts for 2023. I don't know if the teams knew about this in advance. We definitely had had no prior warning about this from any source. And, you know, it's IndyCar's choice, I guess. There's nothing really, what, written in stone about um, the leader circle. It's kind of... Yeah, yeah it, it is basically just, I think, at IndyCar's discretion. But what's going to happen is instead of it being $1.06 million, like it was in 2022, the new contracts are worth $910,000 in guaranteed prize money, which is a 14% year-on-year loss. And yeah. the reason behind trimming that budget uh, is, and I don't know if we saw any statement about this from IndyCar itself, but from other media outlets is that this $3.3 million total from those entries that they're taking away, 150000 each, um, is going to go to the series marketing and promotions budget. So anyone who is complaining about IndyCar needs to do some marketing, maybe you're upset about the leader circle stuff, but you can't be upset about the, the marketing budget increasing. It's kind of, I don't know how to feel about this. And, um, you know, hopefully no team is really caught out by this or struggles in any way. I mean, it, good thing it's at the beginning of the season, and I guess it could have been more money, but, you know, it, when you have a team that has four cars like Andretti or something, it's a lot of money. I mean, 150,000 times four is, what, 600 grand that they're basically losing and guaranteed money if they had all four cars in the leader circle. So it's a big hit. Yeah. Because Ganassi is the only, or Andretti is the only team that, has the fourth guaranteed entry in leader circle mm-hmm. money. Every other team is capped at three as per grandfathered in rules, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, man. I, you know, $110,000, $120,000, whatever it is, is a lot of money, even for IndyCar teams. And, you know, it's 4%, 5% of their season budget, roughly which doesn't sound like a lot, but theoretically it could mean, you know, missing a a race or two or something like that. And if that's the case, then that's really bad. If you're amplifying marketing, which, you know, okay, I get it. But if you're amplifying marketing at the cost of teams, I don't get it. And we don't know that yet. So I'm not going to like really get too worked up about it in either way. It's definitely, definitely leaves me feeling very uneasy because, you know, we are, 
a month until the season starts and and it it gets announced now which i mean i guess it's good they announced it on like the the indie lights payout mess but yeah it's i i have heard there are some unhappy people i don't know if they are team people or series people or what have you but yeah it's it's going to be interesting i i don't I'm biting my tongue. Yeah, I think we don't really know the internals about this or how it's going to go. And we can just only hope for the best because this is a bit of a shock to all of us. Um, You know, I would like to think that IndyCar knows what they're doing here and that they'll be able to basically work this out with the teams in some way, you know, because obviously marketing will hopefully in the long run, right, help everyone. Because it'll draw more sponsors, more viewers to the sport in general. And so maybe that's how they're selling this. And and hopefully that will be the case in that this money that you're losing from us, guaranteed, will probably be made back in a few years if our marketing efforts are successful. But like you said, $150,000 of, I just did the math, let's say an IndyCar season is $7 million. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Pit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. Right? Isn't that about what they say? Yeah. Is about 2% of their budget. So, I mean, 2% sounds like nothing, um, but, you know if you're banking on it as guaranteed money and now you have to go out and find it, that's, you know, not what you wanted to hear as you're starting to go testing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. Let's move on. Yep. Okay. So I think that's pretty much it for IndyCar, unless you have something else, but I've got some F1 stuff, just a few things to get through. Let's do it. All right. So first thing is I want to give a shout out or pay tribute to Jean-Pierre Jabouy, who unfortunately passed away um, today as we're recording this on Thursday, February 2nd, uh, at the age of 80. He was the 1976 Formula 2 champion, and then he was actually um, Renault's first F1 driver. And so he was, I guess, the kind of guinea pig with the turbo cars when they brought in those, what they call it, the yellow teapot, because pretty much it was fast and then it would blow up all the time. But he's a two-time Grand Prix winner, and the 79 French Grand Prix, which had that famous battle between uh, 
Renny Arnu and Gilles Villeneuve, like he won that race and it was the first race win ever for a turbo formula one car. So, um, sad to lose him, but I just wanted to kind of pay tribute to his achievements and, uh, give him a little mention before we get started. Other piece of news that we just heard is that McLaren is going to share Mick Schumacher with Mercedes as their reserve driver. Because of their tie-up, obviously, McLaren uses Mercedes engines. And we don't know much more about this, I don't think, he'll, but he'll just be made available as a stand-in, I guess, if there's any problem for Lando or Oscar Piastri. I was about to say Nicholas Latifi. Yeah. Another name that ends in an I. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, in previous years, I think they had shared Stoffel Van Dorn and Nick DeVries, right, as their backup guys. And, it, you know, in case any of the Mercedes teams, but particularly McLaren, needed a backup, um, they could pull from Mercedes' stable of reserve drivers. So hopefully this is, you know... The, the paddock respecting Mick Schumacher's talent and gives him maybe an opportunity to embed himself potentially in another team and hopefully end up back on the grid at some point. Cool. Yeah, I like it. Good for him. Apparently Red Bull, which is going to happen, let's say today, as you're listening to this, because we're recording on Thursday, their big car launch is friday february 3rd which is probably as you're listening to this in new york and it's in new york because we are hearing that this whole ford red bull thing is going to happen and it's going to be announced so hopefully this doesn't blow up in our face and this is all correct but i've seen it reported by a lot of different sources that yeah, yeah essentially yeah. ford is going to be the partner for Red Bull powertrains um, wants their deal with Honda ends at the end of 2025. So for 2026 and beyond with the new engine regulations, what do you think about Ford coming back into F1? The last time they were here was with Jaguar in 2004. And that was a, uh, I don't, I don't even know how to describe that effort. It was really disappointing. Kerfluffle. Yeah. Yeah. I, Actually, that just reminded me. I wrote down a list of words from our PLP Twitter group that I was supposed to use in interviews this weekend, and I used none of oh. them. So I am, yes, it was unbeknownst to me that I had saved a list of words this weekend to use in interviews. Anyway, I I mean, it's cool. I don't, honestly, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. The only, only thing that came into my mind, and this is more of a question, then a thought is, does the prevalence of Ford with Red Bull dilute the excitingness, excitability of a Cadillac potential badged entry? And I don't know the answer. Maybe not. But it definitely, like, kind of, you know, they're kind of jumping, you know, Cadillac and saying, well, we're just going to do this. And, you know, now we look cool and yay, America. Yeah. I, I mean, Cadillac, I think, other than I believe they have a strong foothold in the Chinese market, is an American brand through and through, whereas Ford is a global brand, right? They have Australian supercars. I mean, they've been in F1. They have been in uh, WRC. 
right, for a long time. So they're no stranger to European racing. So for me, it's not extremely exciting to see Ford return because we also don't know the details if this is just a badging deal or anything like that. Uh, I mean, I like to see them coming in, and hopefully that means that Honda will go somewhere else and then we'll just have even more manufacturers. But no, I, I personally, I guess as an American and as someone who is a student of F1 history, um, the prospect of Cadillac is more exciting because they've never even, you know, dipped a toe into F1 before. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a good good point. We've got... Do we have yeah, yeah I've got three more things. Two little ones and a All big right, one. Let's do it. A, a bit of a ranty one that oh, we'll have to that's go what through. she said. <laughs> um... <laughs> Sorry. So Juan Pablo Montoya has weighed in on Fred Visser and his ability to do his job at Ferrari. And you know we can always count on JPM to speak his mind and never really mince words. So what he said is, One of the hard things with Ferrari is that I don't think anybody feels like they have job security. Everybody's waiting for you to put your foot in the wrong place so they can fire you. That's what I see from the outside. You look at Toto Wolf, and you know Toto's not going anywhere. You look at Christian Horner, and you look at Helmut Marco; they're not going anywhere. But you always look at the head of Ferrari, and you're wondering, okay, how long is this one going to last? Because there's always someone after him. I thought they were going to put John Todd in that position, to be honest, because that would have been my pick. I mean, I don't know about the John Todd part. That's that's fair. I see his point. Also, it's hard to disagree with anything he exactly. said because automatically like you know big frank is is going in to lead ferrari and he's instantly like the least you know he's you know when you talk about like a coach on the hot seat in sports about to get fired you're the head of ferrari and you're instantly on the hot seat doesn't matter if you've done good or bad ferrari could win the next 10 championships and he's still going to be on the hot seat so he's not wrong that's i don't really have anything else to add other than that but he's not wrong no that's why i wanted to read it because I think he basically described what we're all thinking. He, he also said, I don't know if um, Vasseur wanted the job, but he's a guy that did you know a similar job before. You know, He's shown that he can be a good team principal, um, and I think everybody respects him enough. And, he, and then he said, nobody's going to F with him. But he's a guy that doesn't need a job, so when you don't That's need true. the job and you don't care about losing it, I think you have more balls to make the right decision. <laughs> I hope he does a good job. It was kind of surprising. It was such a strong car, but they didn't use it well. <laughs> and to the surprise of everybody... You heard them say, we can still win the next 10 races, and then they went on to not win a single race. <laughs> oh, we love you, JPM. Yikes. Yes, please don't yeah, change. We, we need people like him just to continually speak their mind. Because he's critical, but I don't think he was overly harsh. And, I mean, not that he has any real ties to Ferrari, but he knows F1. So, I think he has the right to comment on this the FIA has also formally opened this process for new F1 teams to join the grid so we had this whole rumor thing that they're just like they're milking this for the news purposes but anyway there's a formal process now you know like they actually have guidelines for a timeline on everything Um, I guess they expect to understand the viability of new entrants by April 30th, which so that essentially means submit your application and 
they have to provide something about how they're going to contribute to sustainability. I saw something like that. But then yep. also yep. any decision about a new team being given the green light will be made by June 30th. So um, how long do you think they're going to push that back? A lot. So I'm just going to dive in on this one because I've read the call for expressions of interest page that uh, Ed Spencer posted. You can find him on Twitter. There's a lot of BS in there. A couple things stood out to me. First off, the application fee is $300,000, which I know is like, you know, drops in a bucket for, I guess, any team or potential team who wants to come in. That's still like crazy to think. Was about. that even known An initial... before that, before this? Or is that just something they kind of made I up? I it could it could have been known, and we're just seeing yeah, it now. Okay. So it's it's hard to say. And, and you know, but if I'm I'm scrolling down, I'm looking at the list. Okay, you know, they have to have all these you know eight different categories of criteria. But then it says right below that F1 commercial rights holder, which I I don't know if that's the FIA or F1 team management, can impose additional selection criteria or conditions. AKA, we're just going to really make up the rules as we mm-hmm. go and add who we want to add if we find somebody good doesn't leave me with the warm and fuzzies there at all and then you know the other thing on on the dates you mentioned is the fia anticipates oh the deadline being x y and z so sure it could be that it could be listen we have so many teams we're interested in we'll let you know next year at some point you know and obviously i'm exaggerating Mm -hmm. i don't i don't actually think it'll be all the way into next year but there's no way of knowing, but you know, there's still a chance we don't get any new team, or the only te- new team we get is some you know rich oil guy with a boatload of money and fake sustainability things that he puts in his his proposal. So I don't know. I don't think this changes anything at all. It's just them trying to stay in the news. Yeah, no, I agree, and uh, I mean, th- maybe this is just smoke and mirrors. And they're really just going to let everybody kind of jump through the hoops to ultimately say, nope, sorry, we're not accepting any new teams. So I'm definitely not getting my hopes up, like you said. And the political landscape of F1 is, I'd say, probably more... I mean, I find it more interesting than I do, you know, like... I mean, I mean, I follow American politics as well, but... Um, it's almost growing to the point of being as tiring as watching our government at work. A hundred percent. It's it's very tiring in a different way, but it's just as tiring. Yeah. The inefficiency and bickering is definitely a carryover from both. Yeah. 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 Maybe we'll save that for a Patreon episode. Yeah. Well, this one, I think we might have to save part of it for a Patreon episode too, because my last piece of news is... Uh, it sounds like Mohammed Ben Salam is in hot water because just of these repeated. Oh yeah, I forgot we haven't talked about. Yeah, this. well, there's there's more. That's uh, this really good piece by uh, Andrew Benson, who's the BBC chief F1 writer that I found uh, this morning. Apparently, he was involved in what two controversy first last week. The one about oh the Saudi group was apparently supposed to buy F1. Uh, and he just decided to make kind of unprovoked or unsolicited comments about the value. They said it was $20 billion, I think. And he said something about how that yeah. was unacceptable or not acceptable. He said something about it's 
like that's inflated value for the sport and i mean just right liberty right. media and the who is the commercial rights holder got really upset and basically said you're the fia president you have no say in our commercial rights because of that hundred year agreement between the fia and i guess it's the formula one constructors organization or whatever it's called i don't know it's complex but he had to apologize <laughs> yeah, I got you. and then he also I didn't know about this, but they also found a website of his from 20 years ago, which apparently has been now been deleted, where he said something, His the quote was, he does not like women who think they are more intelligent than men because they are not, in truth. So I would say that's incredibly sexist and very hypocritical, given someone who pretends to be an advocate for women in motorsports. So that's a pretty damning view. But the thing that I found really interesting about this piece is that Andrew Benson's got quotes from multiple people who are not named, but they're basically saying that there is a movement or an undercurrent of unrest in the F1 paddock, and they're trying to get rid of Mohamed Ben Salam. There's a team boss who said, everyone thinks he's got to go. That's definitely the the, uh, general view. And then there's also news that apparently... There might be a vote of no confidence in him. And I, I mean, the teams have no ability to really get rid of the, like, FIA president. I don't think that, I mean, I think the FIA governs itself, and which is a problem in and of itself. But yeah. uh, there was, where's the other comment that was interesting to me? It was something like, oh, yeah, what he should really be doing is backpedaling and apologizing, saying something like, I made those comments 21 years ago and I regret them, whatever. But uh, one kind of important F1 figure said, these kind of comments bring down CEOs every day. Like, why does he think he can get away with it after he's been involved in all of these things already? And he's not even a full year into his tenure, is he? It's close to it, give or or take, right around a year at this point. But yeah, I mean, the point's still the same. Yeah, I who you know, your your point on what he said about women and, and whatnot is so bad. I mean yeah, it brings down brings down people on the internet on a daily basis. So as a CEO, yes, he should be in trouble. My only fear and I'm just gonna leave it at that because you said it better than, than my tired brain could say at this moment in the afternoon, but my only worry about F1 teams or team bosses trying to push him out if they do or can or can't, but you know, they wield their power of influences. Let's just hypothetically say they do it and they bring in somebody new. Are they going to bring in somebody new that we want, or are they going to bring in somebody new that they want? And they're going to do that. And it's just going to be this cycle of greed and politics getting worse and worse. Just a gut feeling, and obviously I'm, that's based on zero fact, just a gut feeling. No, I mean, that's that's obviously possible. Um, we didn't even really touch on the fact that the FIA has also come out and said that thing about how drivers are not allowed to make political statements, um, which is another controversy because, you know, as you're trying to Total promote garbage. these awareness for whether it's LGBTQ plus rights or... Um, women in motorsports or, you know, this, the we race is one, all these things. And then you're basically muzzling people from expressing their own views. And, uh, you know, you're also, it's 21 years ago. I understand that, 
But, you know, you've made sexist comments in the past, and who's to say that he doesn't still kind of personally hold those views? Or, you know, unless he apologizes, then that's my assumption is that he still feels that way and feels like he has nothing to apologize for. Yes, great point. Well, we'll wrap it there. I feel like we could title this episode Rants Across Motorsports, Rants Across Open Wheel. But we won't, because that's negative, and this is a positive time for some unknown reason. Anyway, IndyCar testing, F1 car livery reveals, for the most part, coming up in the next couple weeks. Ford announcement, and I don't know, am I missing anything else? Oh, NASCAR starts this weekend, if you really care about it, and it I will not, probably, probably not... Bathurst is this weekend yeah, too, okay. yeah, or next weekend. It's soon. Uh-huh. It's soon. Yes, I will probably watch that. I will probably not watch the Clash at NASCAR, but if you do enjoy it, that's that's you know have fun, and everybody have a dandy weekend of racing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.